I'm going to invite uh, Stephen to come and give the word and uh, I'm going to pray as he comes up. Father God, thank you for Stephen and thank you for the preparation that he's put into to this message today. And we pray, Lord, that his words will be your words today. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for that, Nick. Apologise for my voice this morning. I've been trying to save it, but I think it's on its way out. So I didn't even croak here. So, although I'm not explicitly speaking on the cross of Jesus this morning, we'll be going and looking at Romans yet again. That is implicit through all um, that I'll be saying, um, because the only way that we can have any fellowship with God uh, is through the cross and through Christ. In fact, no cross would mean no gospel. And so the underlying message uh, in all that I say is the cross of Christ, looking back to the Old Testament um, and to the sacrificial um, system there. And, um, so that was a foreshadowing um, of the sacrifice of Christ. Um, I heard it said not so long ago um, that God keeps all of his appointments in one place. And that place is at a cross. So keep that in mind as we explore Romans. Now, a few Sundays ago, I spoke on Romans 8. Um, I want to look a bit at Romans 3 and then uh, go over back uh, into uh, Romans 8. But first of all, who was the Apostle Paul uh, who wrote the letters uh, to the Romans? He, he was a, a zealot. Uh, he was so passionate, some would say fanatical, about um, believed and, and religion, that he was absolutely persecuting the Christians. And he was one where scripture says he stood by um, the Stephen was being stoned, um, giving his approval to it. And so he was no friend of Christianity. But then he had an amazing conversion uh, on the road to Damascus that most people that don't even know anything about the Bible, they talk about having this Damascene conversion. Um, and, and, and that's all where Christ just spoke to him and asked him, why are you persecuting me? And that set Paul off on this great journey. Um, and, and Paul, of course, wrote either 13 or 14 um, of the books in the New Testament out of the 27. Paul overwhelmingly um, wrote most of those. And um, the one uh, that we're going to speak about with Romans, he wrote that when he was in Corinth, which um, was in Greece. He was fearless was Paul <coughs> proclaiming the gospel. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't water it down to try to fit in with current society. He didn't try to blend the message of Christ with the message um, that the world um, was putting out at that time. And interestingly, when he was writing uh, the letters to the Romans, this was the time when Nero, who was about 16 at the time, was coming to power. And there'd been this period of time when there was quite peace between uh, the Roman occupying force and uh, Christianity was allowed to, to move on. But then Nero comes onto the scene, and it wasn't long after that, and you may have heard about uh, Nero fiddling whilst Rome burned. Of course, the story is that Nero blamed the sacking of Rome and the burning on the Christians, and then started that great um, persecution. 
And so starting um, with Romans um, chapter five, I'm just going to read uh, the first six verses uh, of Romans five, and then just go straight over into Romans eight and read about nine verses um, from chapter one there. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who also has given us access into this grace uh, in which we stand and we boast in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction brings about perseverance and perseverance brings about character. Character brings hope. And this hope is not put to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. And then over into Romans 8, and I did speak about some of that a few Sundays ago. Therefore, there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death from what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are walking according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are walking according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to God's law, and it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So I want to look at several key words in those texts and from uh, Romans 5, justified, faith, peace with God, grace, um, and depending how time goes, perhaps touch on some others. The book of Romans is such a vast, deep book, a, a great pastor that I admire. He preached on Romans and it took him eight years, 222 sermons. So I'm not going to inflict that on you. So um, because my voice is in danger of packing up, we'll, we'll carry on. Um, I'll, I'll stop at a convenient time. So when we talk about being justified, what does that mean? Justification um, is a theological word that I guess most of us don't use, but it means that we as sinners, are looked upon by God through Christ and the cross as being sinless. We who are the guilty are looked upon by God through Christ because of the cross as being guiltless. And this is why in Romans 8 it can say, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Paul never says you are not to be condemned because you're great people. You know, Paul never says um, that. Uh, there's nothing in us that deserves condemnation. He doesn't say that there's no affliction or no cross to bear. 
He simply says, there's no condemnation because God looks at us as though we do not have this sin. And that is how we are able to enter into his presence. So we are still sinners. Um, we are still guilty but in the eyes of God because uh, of what Christ has done. We are considered as not being undeserved, great grace poured out for us. Undeserved, unearned, a free gift of God. It's like the uh, prisoner that appears before the court with a whole string of crimes against him, and yet he walks free. And then to continue with, with verse 1 of uh, chapter 5, it says, um, having been justified by faith. What is this faith uh, that we talk about? Is it just this head knowledge, is this belief uh, that Christ exists? Is it this belief that God exists, or is there more? I like the definition that says that faith is the total surrender of the soul and our lives and all that we are and what we hope to be to Christ. Total surrender is that faith. Surrendering to Christ is the only hope of our deliverance. There is nothing else. There is no one else. It's Christ alone. And of course, faith is from God, not from ourselves. Faith is the gift of God. Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And going back into Romans towards the end there at um, verse 25, it says, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hopeful. Who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. And I guess that's all of our experience. We don't always see these things. But we're hoping eagerly, we have perseverance, and we're staying the course. And I think that hope and faith stand alongside each other. They're like these two great pillars in our Christian lives, faith and hope that stand. And then chapter three, uh, chapter five, sorry, says that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What is this peace with God? It's not just a cessation of hostilities because the scripture says that we are children of wrath. God uh, is angry with the creation because of who we are and what we are. And that is why I was saying that the cross is just so important because that brought an end to the hostility and the wrath um, of God against those who are in him. And Paul uh, in Romans speaks very, very clearly of two classes of people. He divides the world into two classes of people. Those who are in the flesh, those who are in the spirit. And uh, as we heard, um, when I was reciting it just now, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, and they're not even able to do so because they do not subject themselves to God's law. The flesh, the world, and the kingdom of darkness they're one and the same. We used to talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil, but I haven't heard that now for quite some time, but I think it's um, very apt. And the kingdom of God has nothing to do with this world. We can't have a foot in both camps. People sometimes try to speak for the world and speak for God and try to sort of meld the two together and make some sort of amorphous mixture of things. We can't have a foot in both camps. We're either in the spirit 
or we are in flesh. So justification by faith, peace with God, takes away the enmity between God and us. Peace is made. There is a friendship then with God and with us. The love of God is then poured out into us. As it says, the love of God is poured out into our hearts. So we have peace with God. And scripture says it is this peace that passes all understanding. There's two issues. God is either our best friend or he is our worst enemy. And I know what side that I want to be on. The love of God that is poured out into our hearts. And then in chapter 5, it goes on to say, having spoken about Christ, through Christ, the justification and the faith and the peace with God, Paul goes on to say, also, whom also, through whom also, we are now um, into this grace in which we stand. So we stand in this grace. And the whole um, picture, I guess, of standing in grace shows that we haven't quite made it. We're not sitting back comfortably. And this isn't any salvation by works. There is no works. There's nothing that we can do. But we are in grace. It shows that we are standing for Christ and we are moving forward. Grace has been described as the free and benevolent influence of a holy God operating sovereignly in the life of undeserving sinners, sinners, sinners which is us. <laughs> so the grace in a sense accomplishes what the law could not it doesn't annul the righteous demand of the law but it confirms and it validates them and um, as it, again in, in chapter 8 the Paul says uh, that uh, because of what Christ did because of the uh, condemnation that was laid on him the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We weren't born into a state of grace. We were introduced into it, uh, as Romans 5 says, and we stand in that grace. And then chapter 5 goes on to speak about the hope. We boast, says Paul, of this hope in the glory of God. And not only this, he goes on to say, uh, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces perseverance and character and hope. So hope in the glory of God, hope in God is that gift for those who are in the spirit, for those who have been saved, who have actually given their all to Christ, as we said about this hope in the glory of God. And grace has been said is glory begun. And I guess if we are hoping for that glory of God, um, gosh, what more can we hope for? We just have everything. And inevitably in life, hope will be tested by fire, one could say. So depending where our hope is, depends uh, on whether that hope will be put to shame. And of course, Paul says hope will not be put to shame. And he is speaking of the hope that is in Christ. The hope is in stuff, if it's in things, if it's in big houses or big cars, or if it's in money, uh, if it's in the fact we want to be liked, popularity, and all these things, that hope inevitably will be put to shame. And saying it's wrong to have a big house or a big car or any of these things, absolutely not. 
But if that's where our hope is, if that's where all is and not in Christ, inevitably that will be put to shame. And I can remember a preacher saying quite some time ago now, whatever you've got, one day someone's going to have all your stuff. And it sort of puts it in context because we're not going to be able to keep it. It's going to go. But there are things that we will keep, and that is the salvation with Christ and that hope in God. And no one can make you feel the love of God. I can't make you feel the love of God. No one can give it to you. It's only through a living relationship with Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that you will experience the love of God. And this isn't just some academic mind thing that the love of God is poured into our hearts. See from the way that Paul writes it, the hope and the love of God is poured into our hearts. It's an experience that you can feel. It's got to be real. We must feel this joy, and I believe we do, and I believe that we can, not just as a mental ascent to it. And I don't believe that we fully understand what this love of God is. It's just so vast, it's so huge, and I just can't even begin to comprehend it. If we were to ponder it, I guess, for all eternity, we'd only be scratching the surface of it. It's like we approach a crest, and I spoke about this a couple of Sundays ago as well, and we just think we've got there and we look over and there's more. And that's the love of God. We will go on and on and on. And just as we think we've fathomed the depths of God's love, we'll find that there is more and more. And so, based on the words of Paul, based on the words of Scripture, I can say this with full assurance. That God loves you more than you will ever know. While we were still weak, going back to Romans 5, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. We were without strength before we were in the spirit. And I love the bit in Romans 8 where it, begins, it ends and says, if you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. And then he goes on to say, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And so when the spirit of God dwells in us, we still weak, but we didn't have strength. But now we actually do through Christ. I, I, I think of Lazarus in the tomb often when he talks about us being weak and how God awakens us from, from that death. Lazarus couldn't have faith. He was dead in the tomb. Lazarus couldn't make any decisions as to what was going to happen. He was dead until Christ comes and says, Lazarus, come out. And that is the faith that God imparts to us while we were dead. Christ imparts that faith to us. And then comes salvation at the right time. Again, says Paul, at the right time, God died for the ungodly. And it's difficult today in today's society to speak of sin very hard when you actually look at people and say that these are in the flesh and these are in the spirit. The good news is that everyone that's in the flesh has this opportunity. There isn't a closed shop. Everyone has the opportunity to obtain this eternal life through Christ in God. It's a gift that God gives to those who will take it. We speak of sin today. It's a word that's very rarely uh, heard. There's this idea that anything goes and we've now really got into this body, mind, spirit. I see it advertised everywhere. 
spirituality is whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be God. And it's a strange thing. And I talk to lots of people, and I'm sure you irritate many of them as well, about my beliefs in Christ and what have you. Everyone wants to go to heaven. They don't want God to be there. Because they actually have molded God in their own image. They've even molded heaven in their own image. Their idea of heaven is a place where they can carry on doing exactly what they do, living in the flesh. All the lusts of the flesh that Paul speaks about, they can carry on doing that, but they'll be living forever. And there are precious few sins left in the world now. I see um, what was one school sin is now even legislated and protected. Um, we see pastors that are preaching in town centres being dragged off the podium, handcuffed and taken away. And that's no exaggeration. I've seen that too many times. I think the definition in the eyes of the world of hate um, has lost all meaning. And I think the definition of truth in many has lost all meaning as well. That's why we really need to get into God's word. Um, and I'm going to try and wrap up soon. Hey, could you just put the, um, the flag up for me? I'll just finish um, with this. And Jane and I were watching, Jane watched more than I did, but I did watch some of the Jubilee. And I was really taken by um, the trooping of the colour. And the commentator was saying, there was a young chap there, I don't know how they chose it, but I can't quite remember. But he's the ensign, they call him, and he carries the flag. And he was proudly, this young chap, millions watching, all of the troops that were massed, and he's carrying this flag down amongst the rows of all those soldiers that were standing there. And the commentator said, it's so the soldiers recognize the flag, because in the heat of battle, you need to rally, you need to know what you're rallying to, and they know their flag, and they rally to it. Because if you think about battle with smoke and fire and guns and panic, you can absolutely get disorientated, you can actually head towards the enemy lines. And so while not wanting uh, to worship God's word, I just thought, why don't we make more of a scripture? Why don't we hold that high as the, the truth that we rally to so we don't go off towards the enemy's camp? We know where the truth is. We recognize where our faith is and we can rally to that in times of trouble. If we don't recognize the word of God, it's very easy to get false doctrine and false teaching and go off all over the show. In the Reformation, they had a saying, well, they had five different sola, sola scripture, um, sola fide, but sola scriptura, the Bible alone. That is where our faith should come from. And we have to hold fast to that. So to finish, just again from some of the words from Romans 8 and 28, where Paul says, For we know that for those that love God, all things work together for those that have been called according to his purpose. And those that he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son, so that he would be the firstborn amongst many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then jumping right down to verse 38, he says, For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's what I want to end on. That is the hope for those on this side. Come to me, all the weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's a clear invitation for us today. May God bless you during the week. May you feed on his word, knowing in your heart that he loves you and that you have eternal security and there is no fear for those who are in Christ. Amen.